It's good to be with you this morning and worship together. The beautiful thing is we come from different backgrounds, but we all love Jesus. I love worship. Uh, the band did a great job this morning, and sometimes people look at us and say, why you evangelicals are so happy? Look at the problems we have. We have war. We have racism. We have reverse racism. We have AIDS. We have a lot of problems. Why are you so happy? Well, we're happy because we found the cure for sin. This planet has a disease called sin. And we have found Jesus who saves us from sin, who gives us power over sin. That's why we're so happy. And we want everybody to join us. We want everybody to know about Jesus, our Savior. This is a video clip from a study for small groups called Bridges. It's uh, Christians connecting with Muslims. And your congregation, Brookside, is going to be hosting the class. So we thought we'd kick off with it. It's uh, six weeks in uh, baby steps, as you say in English, learning about Islam and um, how to share the gospel with Muslims. Now I'm going to use PowerPoint. This is the 21st century, so we use video and now PowerPoint. Our ministry is called Crescent Project. And the reason we call it Crescent Project is we believe that Muslims need a new beginning. They need to know about Christ, who can give them a new beginning. And the verse that we like to start with is John chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, it says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This is what Jesus, our Savior, says. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. On September 11, 2001, it was a beautiful Tuesday morning, and I was invited to speak at a missions committee meeting. Suddenly they said, stop the meeting. There is something going on in New York. I show up. Uh, in front of the monitor, we see the second plane hit, hit. I never saw the first one hit. Then they said a third one is coming. There's a fourth one. And what was going on in my mind when I grew up in Beirut, Lebanon? In 1978, I was a young believer. I was in junior in high school. Five guys in my class called themselves a cell. One day, they had a map this size of United States of America with ten dots on it. One of the dots said WTC. So I asked my friend Kamal, who was the leader of the group, I said, hey, what are you guys talking about? He goes, we want to hijack 10 planes over the United States, 5 in the morning, 5 in the afternoon, and these are our targets. I said, what is WTC? Because I'm a kid from Beirut, Lebanon. My English teacher was from England, so WC is the water closet. That's a bathroom. What is it, WTC? He said to me, World Trade Center. I said, what is that? He goes, tall buildings involved in, in finance in the United States of America. Fast forward to 2001. They said there's a first plane, second plane, there's a third plane. What's going on in my mind? They got away with it. This idea that somehow September 11 was planned September 10th, let's wake up. That somehow tomorrow we're going to wake up and things will change. It's not going to change. It's been 14 centuries of teaching jihad. You hear about the Sunnis and the Shiites. But there are Druze, there are the Kurds, there are the Turks. There are 200 denominations under Islam. When I went to, to my room, uh, to my house to pray, and the Lord reminded me of this verse. John chapter 10 verse 10 starts this way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is what they did. They stole the planes, killed the people, destroyed the building. 
But Jesus has come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The Lord said to me, Fuad, you've seen this mess in the Muslim world. You grew up in Lebanon. It's not going to change. The only hope is I am the only hope. The reason we wanted to have Crescent Project, the reason we're rallying the church to reach out to Muslims, is because Jesus is our only hope. Is our only hope. And believe me, my brothers and sisters, this morning I would love to say to you, let's sing a song and let's go get Starbucks. The problem is we are in the 21st century in the greatest age and in the worst age. I tell my kids, enjoy. I can, I can Skype with my parents in Lebanon from my iPhone. I can, I can be on Facebook. I can be on Twitter. Yet in the same time, September 11 began the 21st century was the greatest mess. Killing people just because they're Americans. Killing people just because they're on a flight because somebody was mad. Somebody was angry with somebody else. And the sad part is the 21st century is filled with terrorism, with kidnapping, with hijacking. So we're living in the greatest age at the same time in the worst age. And we should like to share with you what God wants us to know these days. This is the city of Beirut. I want to show you my city. I kind of a little bit brag about it. This uh, city of Beirut, Lebanon, I grew up five blocks from that house. Uh, this is the country of Lebanon, if you see it on the right there. Lebanon is not a big country, it's the size of Connecticut. But we make a lot of noise, so everybody hears about us. Uh, my dad is Lebanese and my mom is Syrian, so you can say I've been a hostage all my life <laughs> until I came to America as an international student. My mom doesn't like this joke. Now, my, my cousins fought in the Golan Heights. I have second cousins who died in the Golan Heights. And I hated the Israeli people. As the jets fly over Beirut, I hated Jewish people. I do not care for Jewish people. The other people I hated were the Palestinians. My best friend, Walid, at age 18, on a Saturday morning, walking, smoking a cigarette, the PLO bombed and killed him. At age 18, we used to play soccer together. And I hated the Palestinians. And my solution for the Middle East crisis was to take Israelis and Palestinians to a desert like Arizona, let them fight there, and whoever wins, give him the piece of land. Let's finish with it. But sadly, tomorrow there will be another car bomb because we raise each other to hate each other. And this hate was in my heart. And during the war, I decided to become an atheist. But somebody told me, what happens if you die tomorrow? I said, I don't care. I don't believe in God. My friend said, but it's too late then. There's one guarantee on this planet. One guarantee on this planet. Everybody will die. And you can't take it with you. It doesn't matter if you invented Xbox or you live in Colorado. If you live in Africa or in Lebanon, everybody will die. So I decided to become an agnostic. That's a good word. Is there a God? I don't know. <laughs> Is there a heaven? I don't know. But I stayed in that period for a short time. Started studying different religions. Revisited the words of Jesus. And what hit me that Jesus taught wonderful teachings. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others what you want them to do unto you. Love your enemies. Hello. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. So as they are doing Muslim rage, Jesus is saying we need as Christians to retaliate. How do you retaliate? With good. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because I lay my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good vine. 
You are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. Jesus says, John 15, beautiful verse, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what the master is doing. I will call you friends. Jesus is the only leader, the only prophet, the only Messiah, the only word of God become flesh who says, God Almighty, the creator of the universe, is your friend. Wants you to be part of his family. So you start your prayer, Abana Lathi, our Father who are in heaven. What a beautiful concept. Not any religion teaches it, but it was right here in my mind. The Bible says we should worship our, the Lord with our mind. That's logic. But then you have to worship with your heart. What does that mean? Heart is where your will is. You surrender your will. You know, guys, we can't tell our wife, hey, honey, I love you with all my mind. She'll say, oh, that's cute. You know, you love her with all your heart. You've surrendered. You will say, you are my only wife. And that's what Jesus was asking me, for me to give my will to him. And maybe some of us here this morning, maybe you love Jesus in your mind. You think he's a good guy. Are you coming to church because you think it's nice to come to church? My challenge to you this morning, have you given Jesus your heart? For me, this is what happened. We have family, friends. They have four kids. They're eating dinner, and their youngest was two years old. He spilled milk. So the father takes the son to the bathroom to wash his hand, and a mortar shell, usually this big, comes through the balcony door, explodes in the middle of the table. Wife and three kids' pieces on the wall. And our family friend takes a plastic bag, picks up the pieces, and buries the whole family in one bag. And that was the trigger to move the information from the mind to the heart. What happened to me as I discovered that weapons don't kill people. People kill people. Look at our human race. We've killed each other over skin color, over religion, over land, over denominations. We've killed each other with sticks, stones, cannons, tanks. Now we have weapons of mass destruction. The problem is not the weapon. The problem is not politics. It will help a little bit. Money might help a little bit. But the real issue is the heart. And the real issue was my heart. So when my room, and I prayed this prayer, I said, Lord, the more there's war in Lebanon, I want to be a soldier of peace. The more there's hate in this country, I want to be a soldier of love. God changed my heart, started praying for Israelis, started praying for Palestinians. The church I grew up in, in West Beirut, had a prayer meeting for the leaders of the Middle East. We prayed for the leaders because when you are a believer in Jesus, you don't see people by race. You don't see people by education. You don't see people by political affiliation. You see them as God's creation, and they need Jesus. And I remember five day, uh, ten days after I made the decision, I was on that uh, campus. Uh, if we're going to go back to that picture, please. Uh, of Beirut, the American University of Beirut campus, about five blocks from the seashore there. So I'm, I'm walking on campus, and it's a beautiful campus. You can see the, the Mediterranean Sea and the mountains in Lebanon go up to 10,000 feet. We have snow in Lebanon. There are no deserts in Lebanon and no camels. The only camels are for Americans to make a dollar from you. <laughs> so I'm walking on campus, and I see my classmate Nadim. Nadim was Palestinian. I did not care for Nadim. But God gave me love. We became good friends. He moved to Montreal, Canada. I gave him a Bible. And God changed my heart, started sharing the gospel. And the same Jesus who changed my heart will change Muslims' hearts, will change American hearts. The same Jesus who is the solution will change people's heart. And I mentioned in my book, Ambassadors to Muslims, I say why I believe they chose September 11. Not one person on the media, not one person asked why they chose September 11, 2001. Why not September 12th? 
Why not October 11? Why that day? And there's a struggle today. We lack what's happening. We can't see because we lack understanding on Islam as a religion. And my, my dream this morning and this afternoon is that we separate Islam from people and we see Muslims are victims of a religion that tells them to do this thing. And we see that Muslims are still not knowing about our faith and not knowing about Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer. I want to show you a picture. This is Lebanon is in the heart, what we call the 1040 window. 1040 window is a very important concept. If you are born in any of these countries, the chances of you seeing a page of the New Testament is zero. The chance of you even hearing that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life is zero. Many of these countries block Christian radio, block Christian television, block, block uh, websites. One of the struggles right now in the Muslim world before this uh, movie came out is that Muslims, after the Arab Spring, they're asking two things. They want electricity and they want free internet. They want the internet to be open. Yet many countries control the information on the internet. But if you're born in any of these countries, the chances of you seeing a page of the New Testament is zero. So if you're born, if you're born in these countries, you, it's banned. So the Bible is banned in Morocco, in Algeria, in Tunisia, in Libya, in Sudan, in Saudi Arabia, in Yemen, in Oman, in the United Arab Emirates, in Iran, in Pakistan. You can be born, grow up, get, get married, have children, and die, and never hear. Never hear that Jesus says... I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Never here. It's the 21st century. I can go to any bookstore in America and buy a Quran, the holy book of Islam. Yet millions, basically 1.5 billion Muslims have never seen a page of the New Testament. That's the number one problem. Second problem is the imams, the religious leaders, don't study the Bible. They don't know our religion. And one of my favorite stories I like to tell is about my first trip to Spain. We had a mission trip. We talked to Muslims who crossed over to Spain from Morocco, from Algeria. So we had a book table with Arabic materials. And it was next to the curb. So the car slows down next to the curb. And the driver had a bushy beard down to his second button. I said to him, Salaam Alaikum. He said, Wa Alaikum Salaam. I said, Sir, we're giving the book of Jesus, the Injil. Injil is Arabic for New Testament. I said, We're giving the Injil of Jesus. So he looks at me and goes, son, I am the imam of Amsterdam. I said, nice meeting you. He said to me, have you read the Quran? I said, yes, 15 times. He goes, in Arabic? I said, yeah, in Arabic. Why, do I look French to you? I'm an Arab. <laughs> so he said to me, I've read the Quran four times, but I've never read the Injil. I said to him, sir, if you never read the Injil, how can you teach people about Jesus? You need to read the book of Jesus. He said, since you've read the Quran, give me the NG. I want to read the NG. And my struggle is, I am an evangelical minister. I've read the Quran 15 times. He's the religious leader. He's the imam. So when Muslims ask him about Jesus, what is he telling them about Jesus? He's never read the book. So whatever information he tells them, it's incomplete. It's probably incorrect. And the struggle today is you and I, we need to understand when you meet Muslims, when you look at the Muslim world, they don't know. You think they know. You think, oh, they've read the Quran, they read the Bible and made their choice. They never even read the Quran. Eight out of ten Muslims you meet have never read the Quran. Maybe they heard it chanted, maybe they heard some verses, but they never sat down and read page one to the end of the Quran. And the struggle we're in today is that the few think for the many. So many people got upset about the movie, but they didn't even watch the movie. On Monday, uh, last Monday, there was an article 
uh, came, uh, the guy asked the question, what, how would Christians react if somebody insulted their prophet? So I put on my Facebook, number one, we don't burn mosques. Number two, we don't destroy embassies. Number three, we don't beat up innocent people. You're upset with the movie, great. We don't want to insult Islam, absolutely. As Christians, Jesus said we should love our neighbor. We don't want to insult Muslims, but what kind of behavior is this? Burning an embassy and you know, killing somebody and destroying buildings. Why? So you're upset, great. Speak about being upset. Speak about the beauty of Prophet Muhammad. You kill people, so we have a mess. And believe me, my brothers and sisters, I would love to say let's sing a song and let's get Starbucks. But we have major issues. We have major issues. We are in darkness and we need the light of Jesus. This is what's going on. The next slide is why they, don't, they hate us is because they don't know us. The number one window on America and Christianity is television. So when people watch movies and TV, they think that's Christian behavior. Next slide will show you the ratio between missionaries or workers and the people need to reach. On the right side of the screen, the number of people committed to go. It used to be for every million Muslims, we had one worker. For every million, we had one worker. Now it changed. It's 2.3 per million. So basically, for every million people, we have two. This means each person has to talk to 500,000. The struggle is not that Muslims are hard. Nobody is telling them. And I've been sharing the gospel since 1979. I, have, I, I know some of you were not even born in 1979. They've never been this open. We used to hear about Muslims coming to faith once a year. Now we're hearing about somebody coming to faith once a week. And my prayer is that after the message, we will catch what Jesus is doing in the Muslim world. CNN is telling us what the devil is doing in the Muslim world. And my prayer is that this morning we'll catch what Jesus is doing in the Muslim world. This is the next map. We'll show you every red dot represents a mosque in America. More than 2,000 mosques in America. Seven million. Seven million. And who do you think is going to welcome them to this country? Who's going to be telling them about Christ? One of the young ladies, she took our training in Columbus, Ohio. She was at Target. She's walking to, on the checkout line. She noticed there is a lady dressed different on the, on the other side, bagging the groceries. She said to her, uh, where are you from? She said to her, I'm from Bangladesh. She said to her, how long have you been in America? She said, three months. She told her, I'm a Christian American. Can I welcome you to my country? And gave her a hug. And when she gave her a hug, that lady started tearing up. She told her, I've been here. They passed. Nobody says hi. Many times Muslims don't know what we believe because nobody talks to them. We see them, you know, covered. And we think, oh, let's go the other way. So she's covered. Great. Come talk to her. Where are you from? How long have you been here? Another young lady took the training. She crossed the street. She found an Egyptian family. She went through bridges. As they're drinking tea... With, together, the mom uh, and her daughters were there with this young lady. She said to her, oh, you're a nice American. She said, thank you. The mom said, we've been in this house for six years. You're the first American. They've been in this house for six years. She's the first American. So I came to America as an international student. What did you do Thanksgiving as a student? Or Christmas or Easter? You sat and watched TV. So Christmas was Santa Claus. Easter was rabbit season, and you could live in this country for four years or six years and never hear the gospel. The struggle is they are now our neighbors. They speak English. 100,000 Muslims live in Orlando, Florida. 25,000 of them are from one country, Morocco. 
You don't want to go to Morocco? Fine, come to Orlando. <laughs> 230,000 Muslims in this one city, Dallas, Texas. One million in the state of California. And the, the question for us is this. We look at the situation. We say, oh, we need to take care of our country. Absolutely. We have to take care of our country. But we do that in November, right? What do we do December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July? What do you think Jesus is telling us when we see this? And if you have your Bibles, I believe Jesus is speaking to us directly from the Word of God. Let's turn to... Um, let's text it says Matthew 5 14 it's Jesus says you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a, a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house next verse in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven we are in a dark situation, and Jesus is saying, when you see the darkness, you're supposed to go the other way. No, he's saying, go this way. Light your candle. Where do you light your candle? In the light? No, you light it in the dark. But when I'm reading the text, says, you are the light of the world. I'm like, Lord, I am the light of the world. You know my weaknesses. You know my problem. How am I the light of the world? Well, it's like the moon and the sun. The moon does not has a life, has a light of itself. It reflects the light of the sun. So you and I reflect the light of Jesus. Jesus chose that we take the gospel. We think, oh, we have to be experts. No, no, look at the life of the disciples of Jesus. They were not the sharpest tool in the shed. I mean, you wouldn't vote Thomas on any missions committee or any church committee. They will split the church. But yet God chose to go through Thomas. God chose through to go through Peter. God chose that you and I are the light of the world. We need to shine the light. Why? Light dispels dark and shows you the path. And then clears up things. So yes, we need to talk the truth. Absolutely. We should speak up. The biggest lie today is it's okay to sing and talk about Jesus in here. God forbid we talk about Jesus out there. But in reality... That's where you live your Christianity. That's where you live your faith, out there. You shine your light out there. So light has to speak the truth, but we have to say it in love. We have to say it in love. That's how our master taught us. Light also um, overcomes darkness. Always light overcomes darkness. Always. So when countries, like uh, the president of Iran, made a statement two years ago that in one year he will get rid of all the Christians in Iran, we have a news for him. The news is that you cannot, light, darkness cannot destroy light. Who's building the church? Jesus, not us. So the church is growing now fastest in Iran. And then finally, it doesn't take a lot of light. Just a little bit light, it will dispel a lot of darkness. So we need to know that Jesus is saying, when you see the darkness, you go there. You go there, and in the last uh, 10 years, more Muslims have become believers in Jesus because someone shared with them about Christ. Three reasons why Muslims, more Muslims have come to Christ, and that's what I want to share with you the rest of the time. What is Jesus doing among Muslims? Number one, Muslims met an authentic Christian. Not a perfect Christian, not a PhD Christian. They met an authentic follower of Jesus. Number two reason, they read the Bible in their own language. 
Number three, they saw a vision or a dream of Jesus. God is moving among Muslims. God is shining the light and is asking us to come shine the light with him. Shine the light with him. Uh, one of the stories this, morning, this summer happened. We were at Starbucks. You know, all the Americans. I had an American team. We have to go to Starbucks to get online, to get our emails. Uh, by the way, where I grew up now, there are three Starbucks coffee stores, one Karibu, one Gloria Jean, and everybody's on the internet. I mean, you go in there. They're on the iPhones, iPads, laptops. They're on chat rooms. Isn't God good? God is good. But I was talking to Jamil. Jamil came to America last year as an international student. He said to me, I was in a small town, about 9,000 people learning English. I said, did you like being in America? He goes, I loved it. He said to me, I learned in America that we don't have to be all the same religion to live together. He's a Shiite. And he's raised to not, uh, you know, appreciate the Sunnis. <laughs> they hate the Sunnis. I said to him, so did you get to go to the mosque when you came to America? He goes, no, I went to church every Sunday. I wanted to hear what Christians teach about God. I said, did you like it? He goes, yeah. After a year I was there, I came forward and took Jesus as my Savior. He said to me, I'm sharing the gospel now with my mom and dad. We just met at Starbucks. We're just talking. He said to me, they're telling me that the Injil has been changed. So he took this book, Is the Injil Corrupted? Explains why the Bible is not changed for Muslims. We're praying for Jamil that God will give him strength with his father and mother. But it took Christians loving on him. It took Christians shining the light. It took Christians taking him to places and making him feel welcome. It wasn't just theology. It was the love of the believers. Another Shiite lady here in America, she became a believer. She met some, believer, uh, some uh, committed Christians at a fast food restaurant that she was working at. So she told them, what are you guys doing Friday? They said, we're going to Bible study. So she laughed. She goes, you mean, you know, going to Bible study? You study the Bible? They said, yeah. So she said, well, I want to come. She came. They would drive her 20 minutes from her home one way. Just take her to, to hear what the Bible teaches about life. She said to me, I would sometimes, you know, be mean to them and sometimes, you know, ask tough questions and they would let me wrestle. But then she prayed and received Christ and become baptized. Then she led her sister to the Lord. And God is using the believers to love on them. Uh, my friend Hussamuddin, Hussamuddin did 16 times pilgrimage to Mecca. He's supposed to do it once. He did it 16 times. He moves to America. He marries an American, forces her to become a Muslim. She wears the hijab and she starts praying for him. Wow, the power of a praying wife. But her prayer was this, Lord, save him or take him home. Home, home. <laughs> One day, the Lord Jesus appears to him. And then next morning, he was at church and comes forward, becomes a believer. He serves, sharing the gospel. He shared the gospel with his, with his brothers, with his mom. His mom was so upset. He said, Mom, why are you upset? I found salvation. Islam taught me to worship God. I worship God. Islam taught me that God sent Jesus. I love Jesus. And I found that Jesus was more than a prophet. Jesus was more than just a man. Jesus did not just give good teachings. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus the Word of God become flesh. He's the Son of God who saved us. And so I love his testimony. I love his testimony. Many times when we look at the situation of the darkness, we think we should go the other way. No, God wants us to go this way. 
He wants us to go shine our light. And many times we're not asking you overseas. It could be just crossing the street and welcoming somebody who moved to America. Just somebody who moved to America. Um, the last verse for us tonight, uh, this morning, before we, uh, we spend time in prayer. And I think uh, Pastor John wants to share some things with us. But Jesus says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. A plowing is hard. A plowing in those days, you had to step on the thing and look forward. You cannot look back because, you know, you see plowing sideways. You need to look forward. And the problem today in the church is we always want to see what the devil is doing. And we look back. We say, Father, remember September 11? Remember 2000? Remember this? Remember this? I mean, last month, 14 car bombs. Not one, not two, 14 car bombs in Iraq. And I agree with you. There's a lot of mess, but Jesus is telling us to focus on the future. Shine our light. But it's hard. It's hard to shine our light. But the hard way is the right way. The hard way is the right way. I learned that when my son, at age eight, fell through a glass table. You know, in Indiana, uh, you, uh, when it's hot, you start the sprinkler system and you let everybody run in the water. Do you do that here in Nebraska? So we had him and his cousins, and I'm barefoot. Everybody's running in the water. So he comes up. He says, Dad, let me help you. He jumps on this glass table that we have on the deck to pull the umbrella, and the whole thing comes down. Glass everywhere, blood everywhere. By the time we're done, 25 stitches. Just right on the knee. So we call 911. I mean, we're walking on the glass. We go to the hospital. The doctor checks and says, well, you know, it's not as bad, you know, but... Let's wash and stitch, and we send him home. I said, but doctor, don't you want to kind of put him under and see if there's any glass on the kneecap? He said, yeah, but he's eight years old. We might put him under. He might have complications. He might not wake up. I'm like, man, my son is very athletic. He plays, he played league, you know, football, soccer. So I said, you know, uh, you know, you got to make a decision. I said, uh, give me a minute, sir. So I closed the door. I prayed. I said, Lord, give me wisdom what to do. And the Lord reminded me that my son had had an operation earlier, and he was okay with anesthesia. So I opened the door. The door. I said, please, put him under and wash the kneecap. Let's make sure it's clean. So they put him under. They washed the kneecap. They discovered three pieces of glass. One of them was an inch and a half. The easy way is to stitch him and send him home. But that piece could be there for years. The easy way is to send him home. The hard way was to wash the kneecap. The hard way was the right way. The easy way was the wrong way. The hard way was the right way. Praise God. Yesterday I was watching my son play soccer. Scored two goals. They won 4-0. You know? But the right way was the hard way. And my brothers and my sisters, our rallying cry is this. Come, let us share the gospel. Let us shine our light. The hard way is the right way. In the Bible, there's a beautiful verse in Hebrews. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. What joy? Come on, help me out. What joy did Jesus? Seeing us. Seeing us, the right way was the hard way to go to the cross. Seeing the multitudes who are going to be around the throne. That's the joy that made Jesus stay on the cross. So our challenge this morning, let's run to the darkness and light our candle and shine our light.
Pastor John, you want to share with us? Thank you. Well, I